welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. And we're Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, we're here episode seven, and Jesus has been uh, doing various various miracles and we saw this theme of fear and faith at kind of the end of chapter four through chapter five. And after these miracles, it's going to be kind of surprising to see what happens here at the beginning of Mark chapter six. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Mark six, beginning in verse one, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out, or he went among the villages, teaching. All right, so Jesus goes back to his hometown. Uh, now, I think that would have been Nazareth, right? That's right. Yeah, He's so. from Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. Right, so I think sometimes it gets a little confusing, but he was raised in Nazareth. Yeah. And his disciples go with him. Yeah, that's right. And so Jesus uh, comes there. And he's teaching in the synagogue. Mm -hmm. Now, again, Jesus would have grown up for roughly you know, 30 years. The Gospel of Luke tells us he begins his ministry when he's 30. And he would have been a carpenter for that time. It says here, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And here's his brothers and sisters with us. And I don't know. Like, I've heard it pointed out that Jesus, it's would have been so hard to accept for people who knew him as kind of the blue collar worker, like it'd be like, if I told you, like I found the son of God, he works at AutoZone. <laughs> like, come, come see the, the son of God. Come, like, come listen to this wisdom that he has. Right. Yeah. It's like, he's from Nazareth. It's got this backwoods town in Galilee. Yeah. I mean, of course in John's gospel, we got the, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But this would have been hard for people who grew up with Jesus for 30 years to be like, he like leaves home and he comes back and now he's like rabbi Jesus. Yeah, yeah he's like, in our synagogue. Like we grew up being in synagogue with him. Now he's the one teaching at it. Right. It's like, where'd he get this stuff? Yeah. And so they take offense at him. And that had to be heartbreaking for Jesus to come to his own people. I mean, again, John talks about he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That had to be hard. Yeah. This is a difficult thing for Jesus, and he marvels because of their unbelief. Uh, that's, again, been a big theme so far, is kind of like belief versus faith. Um, and Mark includes for us in verse 5 that he couldn't do a miracle there. It's always weird when you like read something like that. What do you mean Jesus couldn't do it? Yeah. Like, what, what is that about? And, of course, Mark gives us the caveat, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But what, what do you think the reason was that he couldn't do a miracle there? Yeah. Sometimes people get the idea that Jesus, like, his power flows from the faith of those around him. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, like, 
my faith power. No, you're not believing enough. I can't. I mean, that, t- sorry, but that's kind of, isn't that the deal with Santa Claus? Like if people <laughs> don't have enough belief, but, like that's what a lot of people think about Jesus. But that, I don't think that was the case that, at all. That's not it at all yeah. here. The, the reason that he's not able to heal a lot of people is because people aren't coming to him. That's notable about Jesus in the gospels is that he's not going around to people who don't want to be healed. Like, all right, come here. Like, let me heal you. And it's like, no, like, it's when people come to Jesus in faith and they're like, I know you can make me well. He's like, yeah, your faith has made you well. And so Jesus' limitation is not a limitation of his own power here. The limitation comes from the failure of people to recognize Jesus' power and come to him for healing. And we shouldn't be shocked by that. In the last episode, we talked about these people who were afraid of Jesus and sent him away. And Jesus went. He didn't argue about it. He just goes. And so when these people, even in his hometown, don't believe in him, he doesn't do very many miracles. That's right. Which is a, a kind of a shocking thing because in the previous episode and uh, even episodes before that, it's like miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus gets to Nazareth. Nothing. Yeah. He can't do anything. It's kind of anticlimax. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's helpful to see here just that if we want the healing that Jesus provides, we have to come to Jesus. Jesus isn't... Uh, you know, just going to smack us over the head with salvation. It's like we, we have to come to him and tr- trust him, actively trust him. We'll, we'll see more of uh, what that means later in the chapter. And a good segue into the next section, it says at the end of verse 6, and he was going around the villages teaching. They don't want him? He'll go to the next village and keep on teaching. Yep, that's right. Well, let's read what happens next. Chapter 6, verse 7, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey, except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he, ha- and he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, Shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So, Jesus, you remember he he's called these 12 guys back in chapter 3, and he called them apostles, which literally means the sent out ones. Mm-hmm. And so he calls the 12 and he sends them out. This is exactly why he picked them. And he sends them out together. They're not by themselves. He sends them out two by two. So it's six groups uh, of two that he sends out among these places. And he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. I mean, this is powerful stuff. We've emphasized the authority of Jesus in some of the previous episodes. And now he kind of delegates that authority. He says, okay, just like I have authority over the demons, now you have authority over the demons. Yeah. And he sends them out on this journey. And uh, it's really interesting, Stephen, if you and I were going to go on a journey, what kind of things would we bring? I mean, clothes, food, money. <laughs> An extra coat, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the list Jesus gives in verse 8 and 9 are the same things we would want to take. Yeah. But what does he tell them? Yeah. No bread, no bag, no money. Like not even two tunics. Like, don't like bare minute, like take a, take a stick. And, and the question is, why? Why can't they bring any of this stuff? Yeah. 
Well, I think that the idea is that Jesus wants them to see that he is providing for them. And the way that he provides for them is through the generosity of the people they meet. He says, when you go in a house, you know, stay there. Don't, don't jump from house to house, but like rely on the people that will take you in and provide for you. If they won't take you in, then just go on. And he even says, like, if a town rejects you, you know, shake off the dust to your feet. Just like Jesus moved on from Nazareth, the disciples are told, you know, you're not there to just like beg people. You're there to proclaim the message of repentance. But if they don't listen, move on to the next town and shake the dust to your feet off. It's not exactly a good riddance, but it's a little bit like that in just that get the dust of town off of me. Like, right. all right, we're done with that. And it's not that they can't hear the gospel later, but it's that like, all right, we're moving on to you. You've rejected this and we're moving on to someone else who will listen. Yep. And their message, verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. We've already gotten to talk some about what that word repent means. And I love seeing that Jesus is sending his disciples out to teach the same message. Chapter 1, John the Baptist was teaching about repentance. Chapter 1, Jesus is teaching about repentance. And then here Jesus sends his own disciples out to teach about repentance. That's right. It is the core message of the kingdom is we've got to change, change our minds and change our hearts and our actions. And what do they have with them in verse 13 to go along with the preaching? More miracles. More miracles. Miracles confirm the message. Exactly. There it is again. So the fact that now it's not just Jesus doing miracles, but now you've got a group of 12 guys doing miracles and casting out demons, the word is spreading even more. And so King Herod is going to hear about this, and that leads us into the next section. It's like, oh man, like all these miracles going on. Like, what's what's going on? So this is picking up in Mark 6, verse 14. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So I'm just going to pause there for just a second, because this is kind of the background of this, uh, you know, Jesus has grown in popularity. There's a lot of different ideas about who he is. Some people think he's like literally Elijah and that he's not Elijah reincarnated. Something that he's the prophet, um, like one of the prophets of old. I mean, Moses in Deuteronomy 18 said, hey, there's going to be a prophet like me from among the people who's going to come. And it's going to foreshadow Jesus. But there's still a lot of confusion about Jesus. But Herod has a guilty conscience here. He's like, oh. John, I had John beheaded, and now he's back to get me. (laughs) And of course, Mark's like, I need to fill you in on that. Because last we heard about John back in chapter 1 and verse 14, all Mark told us is, now after John had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. It's like, what What happened to John? What happened to John? And And now we find out what happened to John. So we're picking back up here again in verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. 
When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is a rough story. Yeah, the Bible is not always exactly G-rated, um, if you actually see what's going on here. It's a, it's a pretty nasty story, and it's a pretty nasty family. If you, if you do your history and see the family of Herod, Herod was not his actual name, it was like his title. Um, kind of like Pharaoh, is a, you know, kings of Egypt were called Pharaoh. These local rulers, governors were called Herod, and particularly this family, the, the Herods. Mm-hmm. Um, so this uh, account gives us the end of John the Baptist, who was a faithful proclaimer of God's word. He was the, was the forerunner for Jesus, and this is how he meets his end. Yeah, and it's pretty, com- it's, it's a complicated situation, but it's pretty simple to explain. You've got two brothers. You've got Herod, and you've got Philip. Philip, at one time, was married to this woman named Herodias. Right. I always thought that was weird because it's like the female version of Herod. <laughs> exactly. That's always what I've thought. But Herod decided, huh, I want that woman. And she said, I want that man. So she leaves Philip behind, and she goes and marries his brother, Herod. So now you've got Herodias is married to Herod. And, of course, John goes to Herod, and it's like, you can't do that. You can't just take your brother's wife. In fact, the words that he uses, John the Baptist uses, is it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, clearly, he's not talking about, like, the laws of the land. I mean, he's a king. He can do whatever he wants. What law do you think he has in mind here? He's talking about God's law. Yeah. God's will for marriage. And Herod is not above God's law. Um, When he goes out and he's proclaiming repentance, that's repentance for everybody. I mean, everybody has to repent, even kings have to repent. Yep. And so this message of repentance that the disciples have been preaching as they've been sent out, the 12, uh, this applies to Herod too. I mean, John the Baptist has a lot of guts to tell the local king, the local governor, it's not lawful for you to have the woman that you have. I mean, wow, that that is admirable of John to, to say that uh, because he knows that God's judgment is coming on everybody. And that includes the king. So he tells him this is not right. And so what ended up actually happening is so Herodias has this grudge against uh, John. It, it's so funny to me that the mixed reaction of Herod himself, he, he, he's perplexed when he hears John, yet he kind of likes him. He knows he's a righteous and holy man. He fears him. And he kept him safe. Right. So he's like, yeah, my wife has it out for you, but I'm going to take care of you. So he is trying to protect John until... His birthday rolls around, 
And so Herodias's daughter comes in and she's part of the birthday entertainment. And again, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize like, this is not, this is not tap dancing. Yes. Yes. Uh, And so she pleases Herod and his guests. I mean, wow. Just the the grossness of lust is really clear in this story. And it's like, not only is that part gross, but this is like his niece slash stepdaughter at this point. So it's already just weird. Yeah. Again, just the, the sinfulness of this is, is really heinous. So Herod and his, um, state that he's in makes this rash promise to her. I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom. And of course she's young. She's like, I don't don't know what to ask for. So she asks her mom and her mom is like, aha, here's my chance. I want the head of John the Baptist. And so this is the girl asked for. Which goes to show how much she hated John the Baptist. Yeah. Half of the kingdom, or the head of this weird guy who eats locusts and honey and wears camel hair. But he's been telling you, you're not in a lawful marriage. Exactly, yeah. And it goes to show what was more important to her. That's right. And so, uh, and and the platter gets in there. I mean, this is just kind of a sick picture. So Herod is really sorry, but I mean, this is kind of powerful that... His, because of his oath and his guests, this is really peer pressure that forces him to do this. He's been trying to protect John this time, but his own lust and his own sin has now taken him farther than he ever wanted to go in the first place. And that's the nature of sin. I've heard it said that sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you can ever pay. Yeah. And that uh, is certainly true for Herod here. Yeah. Is, uh, he's been called on to repent and his failure to do that now costs him dearly, and it costs John. Um, though I will say that John here, this is a sad way for his life to end, but he preached to the end. Mm-hmm. He was faithful in proclaiming the message that God gave him, and John goes to his reward here. Yep. Um, uh, his life ends uh, for the moment, but he's going to be in life eternal. There's a, a question we have to ask ourselves. What what sin, if we want to call it small, are we dabbling in now that's going to take us somewhere we never thought we were going to go? Mm-hmm. What is that one thing in our life that's just waiting to get worse and worse and worse if we don't get a hold of it right now? I mean, the text plays it out really well for us. He liked John. And then he has the guy beheaded and has his head served up on this platter. It's just amazing what sin will do to somebody. And, and it's done to us. That's right. And we need to ask ourselves also, what kind of people are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we going to surround ourselves with people that are going to pressure us to do things we know are wrong? Or are we going to surround ourselves with people who are going to back us when we want to do what's right? Um, and so there's just a lot of practical lessons here. Yeah. So and the, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, and I, I just wanted to amen your point about John the Baptist. He, he did the right thing no matter what, even though it cost him. Uh, his life. Yeah, uh, so that's right. It was, it's a blessing to read about. That's right. So the disciples hear of it and they came and took John's body and they laid it in a tomb. In those days, it was a big deal to get a proper burial. Yeah. And so he was beheaded in a prison, but they make sure that John gets an honorable burial um, after this. So we kind of have, again, kind of a, a, a Mark sandwich again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus had sent out the 12 before this, and now the 12 are going to come back from their mission. 
Mark chapter 6, we're picking up in verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. So, famous miracle of Jesus here. Um, He feeds a huge group of people. But what's kind of interesting is leading up to this, again, the apostles have just come back and they're reporting to Jesus what they had done, what they had taught. And again, miracles and messages uh, put together there. And so he says, let's go to a desolate place for a while. We need some rest. So this begins with like, hey, like, you've been working hard. Jesus has been working hard. And because it said that they did, were, had been coming and going and so many people are coming that they don't even have time to eat. So he's like, hey, let's go take some R&R. And so they go across to a desolate place just across the lake. There are the Sea of Galilee. But they get kind of thwarted. They, the people saw them going away. And so they ran along the shore. And so when they finally get to what they hoped would be a desolate place, Here's more crowds and more people who need who need help. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus at that point, I'd be like, "Listen, guys, like I love you guys, but I need a break. Like, go home, come back tomorrow. Can you please just give us a little time to ourselves here?" But that's not what Jesus does. When he saw them, verse thirty-four, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I mean, I, I need that example in my life. Sometimes we're tired. We got our own stuff going on. But Jesus is all about helping people. Yeah. Being spent for yeah. the purpose of them. That's right. And so um, it was late. And the disciples are the ones like, hey, Jesus, like, we should send these guys out to, to get something to eat. Because it's late and there's nothing out here. And so let's send them out. And this is fascinating to me because Jesus could have just said, it's cool, guys. I got it. Like, 
watch this. Snap. And, like, <laughs> and he just makes a bunch of food on the spot. But first, he asks the disciples, you give them something to eat. And, I mean, their reaction is completely understandable. It's like, do what? Yeah. This is going to cost us 200 denarii. Now, it is helpful to point out a denarii was about a day's wage. So let's say you make $100 in a day. You can do the math on how much money that would be. That's a lot of money that it would take. And even if you don't want to just look at the money of it, the end of the of the story, verse 44, says there were 5,000 men. I'm trying to think of the last time I was in a group of 5,000 people. That doesn't happen all the time for me. That's a bunch of people. Yeah. And I try to sympathize with the disciples. You know, you give them something to eat. It's like, how? What? Do you not see how many people there are? This like, is an no impossible way. task for us to be able to accomplish. And that is exactly what Jesus wants them to realize, is that this is impossible for them to do by themselves. And so they're like, they're focused on what they don't have. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food to, 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 to feed these people. And so Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they said, we got five and two fish. And I think it's in one of the other gospels that say, but what are these for so many? But I love here that Jesus is like, okay, you don't have enough. But what do you have? We'll use that. It will make it enough. And that's what Jesus does for us. Is like, of course, we don't have enough to, to help other people. Uh, sometimes even help ourselves. And he's like, okay, well, give me what you do have. And we'll work with that. And so he has them sit down on the green grass. And we didn't mention this earlier, but there are some interesting kind of connections to Psalm 23 in this section. Uh, we already saw earlier that when he had compassion on them, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Of course, he is the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so uh, then he has them sit down on the green grass. Uh, he makes me lie down and green pastures and again he provides for them uh they're they're filled um there's 12 baskets of leftovers my cup overflows yeah so there's just an overabundance that jesus gives here um and again it's crazy that like if they thought about the five loaves and two fish and then just looked at the broken fragments of leftovers 12 baskets full my understanding is these are like pretty big baskets it would be like, okay, this is super clear miracle. Mm -hmm. This is just incredible. Who doesn't, again, who doesn't love leftovers anyways? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And again, it's just 5,000 men. I mean, this could have been upwards of like 15,000 people, including women and children, whoever all has come to hear Jesus teach. This is just a remarkable miracle. And it connects with the next miracle that we're going to see um, as we get into this next section. Um continuing to read verse 45 immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida where he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them he went up on the mountain to pray and when evening came the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, 
and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So we'll come back to this in a second, but we're supposed to read these stories together. Yes. Because it ends by saying they, they didn't understand something about the feeding of the 5,000 that they were supposed to get when Jesus walks on the water. Uh, so that's really interesting that it ends that way. So let's back up. So again, Jesus has got to be exhausted at this point. <laughs> you know, they went away to try to get some rest. They were intercepted by the crowds. He teaches the crowds. He feeds the crowds. He sends them home full. And now the disciples are going to cross back over to where they normally were. But Jesus stays behind. And this is amazing to me. I mean, he, again, he's got to be exhausted. But he makes prayer a priority. Yes. He goes up on the mountain to pray. And this isn't the first time we've seen him do this. Mm -hmm. This has been a priority of Jesus from day one, uh, from reading through the Gospel of Mark. And so how much more of a priority should it be for us? That's exactly right. I mean, of all people who you think wouldn't need to pray like that, he's, he's God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus is really giving us an example of the priority that prayer ought to be in our lives. And so... From up on the mountain that he goes where he goes to pray, he looks out and he can tell that man they're having a hard time on the land. Again, this is a huge body of water. You can be four miles from land if you're out in the middle of this lake. And so they're they're just slowly, I mean it's fourth watch of the night. That's like between three and three six. Three and six in the morning. In the morning. Yep. So this is a oh dark thirty, you know, there it's dark out on the lake. And again, I don't want to be out on a stormy lake at four in the morning. And yet they, they, they look out of the boat and they're like, hey, you see that? What? You know, Thaddeus, what is that thing? <laughs> and like, they think it's, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Oh, like what's going on? I mean, to make matters worse. But then what the, the so they thought it's a ghost, but it calls out, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And about, it's just kind of a cool side note here, but in the in the original language here, um, he actually says, take heart, I am. Mm -hmm. Do not be afraid. Yep. And there's some cool connections there to, especially the Gospel of John focuses in on Jesus being the I am, yep. God from the Old Testament. Um, but it's his presence that comforts them. Hey, it's me. Yeah. Don't be afraid. And it's also worth noting in Matthew's account of this instance, this is when Peter, he gets out and he walks on the water with Jesus, which is really cool. Yeah. But it's so cool to point out in verse 51, when does the storm stop? When Jesus gets into the boat, the wind stops and everyone is utterly astonished. The storms of life will cease when Jesus is in the boat with us. And we got to put our trust in him. We got to put our faith in him. That's right. And it's fascinating to try to connect this back to the, the 5,000 miracle, right? So they they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, verse 51 and 52. There's something that they were supposed to learn about Jesus from the feeding of the 5,000 that would make them understand, like, oh, yeah, if he can do that, then he can walk on the water. I mean, again, they're just totally blown away each time they see Jesus do something new. And sometimes even when they see Jesus do the same thing over and over. But I think there's a profound lesson for us there is that Jesus is wanting us to learn to trust him, to really believe in him. Because so many times God will help us out in a situation in our life. He'll deliver us from some hard situation. 
And we thank him for that. We're grateful for that. But the next thing that comes along, the next hard thing, we've totally forgotten about the previous things that he's done for us. We haven't really learned to trust him. We've just kind of like, okay, like, give me some help. Okay. And now I'm kind of going to go do my own thing. No, they need to realize that the Jesus who can provide for them when they're out, relying on him and on their mission, the Jesus that can provide for them when they don't have the money or the bread to feed the crowd in the wilderness is the same Jesus that can provide for them when they aren't able to get back across the sea in the middle of the night. And coming back to our Psalm 23 connection, he leads me beside quiet waters. And I wonder if maybe that's something the disciples should have been able to pick up on. Jesus is setting them down in the green grass. He's filling them up as much as he can. He says, this is like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. And now I still the waters and I'm leading you back to land. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd here. And you need to put your trust in me. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, Jesus is their other shepherd, their provider in this whole section. And we're going to see this come up again later when Jesus feeds the 4,000. Um, and he's going to have some more things to say about their hardness of heart. And again, it's the same thing we struggle with, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. That we, we see Jesus do amazing things and we still have a hard time connecting that to the next hard thing we face and really trusting him. That's what we got to learn. Well, let's go ahead and finish out the chapter. Verse 53 When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized them and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered, villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. It's one of those summary sections. Sometimes Mark will just give us kind of like a, and by the way, Jesus did like a whole lot of other stuff that I'm not telling you about in detail, but he did a lot more healing. He did a lot more teaching. At this point, he's kind of like a local celebrity. It's like any town he enters in, people are flocking to him for healing and for teaching. Except for Nazareth. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the kind of the the notable place where the, 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 the provider is rejected. Right. But here he's continuing to heal people. And I mean, people are just running like, like Jesus is in town. It's like they get their sick people and they're coming out to him. And notably, they're begging him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. They probably have heard about what happened to the woman in chapter five mm-hmm. who had the, the blood issue. And she was like, if I just touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus helped her to confess that to everybody. And so now people are like, Jesus is in town. I just need to touch his clothes. And I will be made well. And that's exactly what's happening. Is everyone who comes to Jesus in faith is being healed of whatever disease that they have. Yep. What a beautiful story. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to get to get into chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark and talk about the Pharisees and uh, their traditions and commandments. And Jesus will have a conversation with them about that. And then we'll get to end that chapter with a couple more miracles. Um, There's going to be this Gentile woman who has her daughter healed and then a deaf man as well. So Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, we'd like you to subscribe, rate, review. Um, If you leave, um, the more reviews we get, the more people that we can get this message out to. So please take a couple minutes to do that. 
Um, we'd also like to invite you um, to our community Bible readings. If you're in the Harrisburg area, um, you can find more information about that on CapitalCityChristians.com. Um, you can find a link to our meetup page and find uh, local Bible readings. We do things kind of like this. We just sit down, we read the word together, and then we talk about it and to try to apply it to our lives. We hope that this is helpful for you. Again, if you have any questions about what you're hearing, please feel free to reach out to us, uh, 717-585-0949. Uh, email us, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, uh, check us out on capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.